recording. All right, let's do this before I lose my voice or some technical glitch pops up. Um, full house tonight, folks, on Mentioned and Dispatches. Mike is here. Mike, welcome back. Glad to have you. Thank you. I think this is my first appearance in season 10, right? I, I think this is your first shot at season 10. Well, um, what's wrong? I mean, something I, I must be know, wrong. Man. <laughs> For being the Ed man of the podcast, you're kind of slacking on this. Ah, uh, so this is kind of like when Ed was in rehab or something. That's what it is. Okay. Sure, yeah, let's, we'll go, let's with go with that. Um, also, for the, the first shot at season 10, um, the former co-host at a previous podcast, Michael, is back. We got Mike and we got Michael. Michael, how you doing, man? I'm okay. I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, glad to have you, um, even though it's like dinner time for you, thanks to time zone shifts and all. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, we appreciate you joining us while the sun is still up. Yep, glad to be here. And the first time for any season with us here on Mentioned and Dispatches, scheduling didn't quite work out last season, but we got him this time around. Um, our buddy Wayne is here. Wayne, how are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Um, glad to be here. We've talked for months, I think, about getting me on um, Mentioned Dispatches. So I'm excited to be here, and I can only assume the check will clear shortly. Um, ha! Whoa, what? That's that, that's a big assumption. <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to mention that on the air. My apologies. Not a problem. <laughs> Glad so, to be here. Hey, so so everybody knows where you know Mike runs My Own Worst Enemy. Michael does some stuff with Solosaurus. They both do a bunch of stuff with us here at the Dragoons. Wayne, talk to us a little bit about your channel and and the the things you approach and do on your channel, and we'll use that a bit as the lead in for the audience on the rest of our topic for tonight. Yeah, so uh, my name is Wayne Hansen, and I run the uh, aptly named Wayne Hansen YouTube channel. So you can see how big my ego is that I just named the channel after myself. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't have the fancy cool name, but um, I've had I've, I've really just, you know, I love solitaire wargaming. That's what I do. And that is 99% of what I do when it comes to wargaming. And when I started my channel, there was there was some out there. Um, shout out to Single-Handed Warfare, Derek. He was putting out videos at that time. Really got me hooked on it. And I was like, you know what? I want to see more videos. And maybe, maybe I can do this. And when looking back, I mean, my first videos are pretty rough. I'm sure my new ones are fairly rough to some standards. But I love doing it. Channel's been growing by leaps and bounds. Um, and, you know, what I love to do, what I love to focus on is solitaire designed war games, right? So... I, and I play two player war games, um, you know, play both both sides, that type of thing. Absolutely do. Some of my favorite games are uh, Great Battles of History. Ancients love that. But when it comes down to it, and what I really focus on with my channel, the content that I create is games that are designed for the solitaire player. They have a dedicated solitaire system, whether it's a smaller system, it's kind of an add on or the whole game is actually solitaire. So that's a great lead into what we're doing tonight, which is we're, we're getting back to talking some solitaire wargaming, as you'd expect from having Wayne, plus the dude from Solosaurus, plus the dude from My Own Worst Enemy, <laughs> all on one podcast. But but Wayne brings up a good point, and that is the idea of sort of purpose-designed solo wargames. And I know that this is something that has come up in discussion, actually, a little bit with relation to some of the awards categories. When you're looking at, like, best solo wargame, are you talking about the best war game that can be played solo? Because Michael tell you any war game can be played solo. Or are you talking about the best war game with a solo adaptation, like an intentional solo mode? Or are you talking about something that was purpose designed as a solo game? And so games like States of Siege, 
are purpose designed as solo games, even though there's sort of a two-player hack to some of them. I think most of uh, David Thompson's Valiant Defense series are purpose designed as yep. solo games. So, Mike, I know you're big on sort of playing multi-handed, multiplayer games, but you've done some of those purpose designed solo games. What what do you see as some of the the distinctions and and how we should, if at all, draw some lines between these things? So, now are you asking in reference to awards specifically? Because no, I think we just generally, but but okay. if you feel like you know poking the bear a little bit and making fun of the awards, I'm not going to stop you. So I think well, we'll we'll set the awards aside for a second. That's a different issue. Um, so for solo gaming, I mean, yeah, there are basically you know there there are games designed specifically to be played one person only, solitaire only. They have a set of rules. They have the AI. A lot of them are states of siege type games, and you know you sit down by yourself and play. And there's some great games out there, and and I've had a lot of fun playing those games. Fantastic games, many fantastic games, many. And there and then there's there's you know then you have just regular games that were meant for two or more players, and and of course yeah you can you can uh, what they call two hand those they like to say two hand but brant you can tell everybody that that for me that can be up to seven or eight hands when i <laughs> for some of the games that i play um and then there's games that have that are intended for two players but they'll and then i kind of hate to see it when a game does this but they'll, they'll add a, a solitaire component to it they'll say it has solitaire play but it'll only be like a scenario that you play with very specific setup and rules and you kind of walk through a specific s- scenario for what they call solitaire play in my mind that's not really a, so- a solo game that's not a, a solitaire game it, it's it's kind of like including a a, a mod in the, in the computer gaming world digital world you'd call it a, a workshop mod and it's kind of what i feel like that is if i'm not getting the entire game and you're giving me a scenario and i'm trying to think of a game that i've played recently that does this um and i think we've talked about it before on the last season podcast. Well, just with you multi-handing it i'm waiting for the my own worst enemy playthrough of here i stand so it's interesting you say that because, you know, this is 2023. And, and actually, this was the year I was supposed to launch my own worst enemy. But then the pandemic hit, right? So <laughs> I had some free time on my hands. So I actually started it, you know, back in 2019, 2020. Um, one of the things I want to do this year is actually just that. I want to start showing people how they can play something like, um, oh, that's a good example, uh, War and Peace or something like that, where there's, there's several players and how to play all the sides yourself. They're, they're, you know, it's 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 doable. And, you know, we talked about before we started recording this podcast of how we can go down different rabbit holes talking solitaire gaming. I'm and talking about know. a very specific style of solitaire gaming when I say that. And it's more narrative and storytelling than competitive or historical curiosity. Right. So, Mike. So I, I have a perfect example, I think. Uh, you tell me if it is of a game that said that it came with a solitaire mode and you know, that it was kind of advertised as part of it. And, and that's one of the reasons that uh, one of my big negatives, why I had uh, eviscerated it in my review. And that is uh, not to bury the lead, but Absolute War from Carl Prattis. Um, he, it said, you know, this is a, it's a, first of all, it's great for new war gamers. Not true. And secondly, it has a solitaire <laughs> mode. Uh, no, it has like a page that's basically a couple paragraphs that says, hey, you can play it solitaire. 
Um, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, the Soviet Union, this is what you should focus on. If you're the Germans or the Axis, this is what you should focus on. Uh, okay. Well, that, that's not a solitaire mode. That's just no. that's the most barest of guidance. So that is one absolute war from Carl Paradis that I felt was a huge letdown and that they advertise at GMT. I think is a little bit of a disservice to the game to advertise it as a solitaire friendly game. It was not. So that is, that's the worst case of what I'm talking about. And that, that, and I'm, I agree with you hundred percent. And I, there's a game, I won't name the game, but it, it's the same way where they say, oh, we have, you can play this solitaire. You turn to the solitaire section. It's a paragraph. And here's what it says. If you're playing as the Germans, play the best you can. And <laughs> you, do what you think, the, do what you think the Russians would do. You yeah. know? And if you're playing the Russians, do the best you can and do what you think the Germans would do. And that's yeah. it. You know, it's like, that's not a solitaire game. No. I, I need a, I need somewhat of a system. Um, and I'm actually some I'm playing and doing videos on filming a, a for a game right now that is kind of straddles the line a little bit, but it it, it cuts out a lot from the two player. Um, but it does have a true solitaire mode. It may be lightweight compared to, and the really the full game is lightweight anyway, so it's extra light on the solitaire mode. But it has one. You can play it through. It has solitaire rules. Um, and it's the latest release um, from Worthington, Archie's War, the Battle for Guadalcanal. So two-player and solitaire. The board's two-sided. Um, double-sided, you just flip it over, whichever whichever you're playing. Um, but it does have a solitaire mode, and I'm enjoying that. So that's what I look for when I talk about solitaire games. And that's why um, when when I look back and I'm kind of looking at just looking at some of my, um, my, my content, my videos, what I've focused on. For example, when I say, hey, my top three solitaire war games for new war gamers, um, one of my most popular videos, the three are Hornet Leader, In Magnificent Style, and Stilico, Last of the Romans. Those are three solitaire dedicated, solitaire design games, right? I, even though I love, you know, I mentioned earlier, Great Battles of History. You know, I love playing some um, two-player games, playing two-handed, whatever you want to call it. If I'm focusing on solitaire games and that's what I want to talk about, and that's and it is the majority of what I play, I want solitaire designed specifically. So speaking of that, Michael, you've, I mean, you, you've helped run a channel that talked about solitaire games. Now those weren't all war games, but you've done a bunch of solitaire coverage over the years as well. You've done some of those States of Siege games. You've done some that also have solitaire modes built into a multiplayer game. What are your thoughts kind of on where we've gone so far? Oh, I'm mirroring most of what you guys are saying here. I mean, my, <laughs> when I started gaming, it was late 70s, early 80s, really in earnest. And back then there were very few purpose-built solo games, uh, war games especially. I think Ambush was probably the first real solo war game that I ever played. Uh, and it was just, you know, you play solo just because you just don't have anybody else to play with. I mean, we're talking the 80s here. We're not, there's no internet. There's, you know, no instant uh, French friends that are interested in playing these kind of things. I mean, you just did what you had to do to entertain yourself. And that was kind of part of the thing. And when it comes to solo source, uh, the, we haven't done a lot of recordings lately just because Martin and I have both had, you know, things going on, but it's, I brought the wargaming perspective to the table and he brings more of the Euro game type, you know, normal quote unquote solo gaming experience to the table as well. And one of the things we've harped on in many episodes is this whole concept of, is this a solo purpose game or is it one that's just kind of tacked on where the solo mode is tacked on? Like, like uh, you guys said, you know, one paragraph in the back of the book does not a solo mode make. And it too often, more often than not, we've had this happen. Uh, or, you know, having to buy something extra like a deck 
uh, for an AI to simulate another opponent or something like that. That's kind of turns me off too. I want something built in the box where I don't have to invest extra dollars in, in the game. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's all over the place because, you know, one thing I've wanted to do with Martin was a episode that would cover tiers of solo gaming. And we kind of, you guys kind of talked about this already where you've got the purpose built solo game and that's it. It's a solo game period. There's no two player t- add on to it at all. And then you go from there to, you know, all the way at the bottom of the list, you're talking like social deduction games like The Resistance or One Night Werewolf or something like that, where you have, <laughs> you know, you need multiple players in, or, or Battlestar Galactica even, where you have uh, a hidden role kind of a component where it's nearly impossible to play solo and enjoy it in that regard. Uh, there's there's all kinds of different perspectives. And the thing about wargaming is it's just, it's part of the entire gaming market. There's so many good solo games out there that are not war games that we've talked about over the years uh, and, and some that we love, some that we hate. Um, and I honestly, you know, I used to be a complete war gamer and didn't really care for other board games that much, but Martin helped kind of <laughs> turn me in that direction. So, you know, I'm looking at piles of them around me right now, literally not all of them were war games. I'd say about half and a half right now. <laughs> You know, Michael, that uh, first off, the Battlestar Galactica, that was such a fantastic game. Oh, yeah. um, it, it sometimes could run long, but here, but I'll, here's the truth. Our group, we played it. I mean, you're talking, what, three and a half hours easy. Oh, I yeah. remember one time we played it, and then we set it back up. We played it again, back to back. I mean, it's that good of a game. So that's yeah. a fantastic game. So um, they're in all war games, although my channel, I've had people ask this. I only cover war games specifically. I play other games but I only want to cover on my channel because it's just me. I don't, I don't want to kind of dilute it. Um, but the second thing is mentioning, you said all over the place, sort of describing these games. I think, and I, and by the way, I, I don't know if I can offer a solution. I'm just going to complain instead. Um, I think that you have designers. They are the ones who are kind of coming out and saying, and maybe some developers, some um, publishers help out, but designers come out and say, Hey, this is you know my game X, whatever it is this solo friendly or it's not solo friendly. Well, the, the knowing that you, they want to have the most, I don't want to say sales in a negative way. They want the game to be played by many people, right? They want the game to be successful. So they're going to say, Oh, you can, you can solo it. But then, then you start losing a little bit. Okay. You can solo it, but what does that mean? I mean, I've, I've seen games with hidden information that the designer said it's, Oh, you can solo it. I mean, you just have to like, you know, show things you have to pretend you have to forget things, this and that. Okay. If your game has hidden information, you are now getting, you talk about that wrong of you know the tiered list right of solo if you as soon as you have information you're getting down towards that social deduction games in my my opinion you know you are getting unless you have a solo mechanic that manages it you were getting far away from being able to two-hand it and i think it just comes down to we don't have any consistency with how games are ranked for their solitaire it just comes down to what does the designer say and then what is that particular particular publishers say right yeah and and I, I this occurred to me while you're talking there wayne brant i know you've designed games but mike or wayne have you guys designed a game yourselves i have, I have nothing to completion <laughs> okay so mike. it's yeah and i'm gonna say what wayne said actually so for years i've never actually sat down to th- say i'm gonna design a game but i, I i'm keeping files <laughs> and notes as yeah. I play games, there are certain elements of games I'll play. And I'll think, you know what? This is a really neat mechanic. What mm-hmm. if I did this and this and changed it this way? And I'm making notes as I go along. And at some point, you know, maybe I've got some extra time now that I'm retired. And maybe I will attempt to put something together. I, I've, I've been asked by designers and some designers I respect. I've been asked by a publisher too. I, yeah, I mean, I after some of the reviews I've done, 
where I've uh, taken taken it to people. I, I don't want to get the same treatment in return, so maybe I won't design anything. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, you, you, ideally, you get that treatment from the developers and playtesters before it ever gets to public. <laughs> you know, Brant, that is a great, wonderful point. And uh, I don't know what uh, world you live in, but I wish I was there for you because that would be. <laughs> I live in the world of a guy who self-published everything and got his ass kicked by reviewers, and deservedly so for a couple of really dumb ideas. Yeah, so. that's that scares me to death because. I, I, as I've said on the AD site, uh, I've actually started designing a game for DVG. So I'm, I, I haven't had much of a chance to work on it in the last few months because of uh, family uh, issues going on, but I, I intend to get back to it here within the next month or so. And the perspective that I have there is I know I'm not going to get rich doing it. I know what my contract tells me I'm going to get, but I just want people to be happy with it. Uh, and I yep. don't want it to be something that it's, I don't want to misrepresent the game. I don't want it to be anything that it's not supposed to be. I just want it to succeed at what I set out to do. And then to that end, I, I came up with, it, it's funny, you know, where epiphanies come from when you're designing things or even writing, you know, or, or doing some kind of review it's, it's, or an AAR for instance. Um, I, I came up with something that I was really excited about. And that was the kind of the piece that I was missing in the whole design process. It's like, what am I doing? I don't, I don't want this to be like every other leader game. I want this to be a little bit different. So I came up with a concept that um, Chuck Siegert, the guy who designed uh, Stuka leader, as well as a yeah. couple of others, he, uh, he was like, Hmm, that's a really good idea. I don't know if that's going to work, but I am intrigued. And I'm like, why didn't nobody think of this before? So th just to tell you really quick, it's the game is B 52 leader. And the idea was to, you could do missions, you can do campaigns like you can do in any of the leader game. But in my idea, it was more of a campaign overall thing to where you have a B-52 bomber from birth, quote unquote, to, you know, whether you'll lose it in combat or it, it uh, gets decommissioned down the line. And, you know, these things have been around for decades. So I thought it would be a cool idea to where you're actually playing the aircraft and not the crew for the aircraft. And you get it upgraded, which I know is not realistic technically, but we're talking it's a board game. So I'm probably going to catch some flack for that. But still, I think, you know, it, it's I was just this really excited about this idea. So, you know, moving forward with this, I'm like, hey, this is really cool. I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a great idea, but I'm afraid I got to steal myself because there's going to be people say, oh, that sucks. What are you doing? <laughs> we don't like that at all. <laughs> there are B-52s out there at this point that I'm not sure have any original components from their airframe when they were built in the 50s. Right. Yep. As, as every new mod and upgrade has come along, they've slowly been replaced over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of like Elvira, right? There's not a lot of original parts <laughs> left on her. Plastic surgery everywhere. Yep, that's that's the whole intent. You know, you're going to level up your plane. You're going to move it through the models. You're going to get to upgrade it. You know, things like that. And that's. It's, it's so almost, on, does this mean the EM50 leader game is not going to happen? <laughs> I wish, man. I, I you know, I he was really positive about that when I posted that uh, that Photoshop picture, and uh, I was like, hmm, well, uh, <laughs> could we do this? <laughs> I don't think we can. I think it's a, a more of a um, copyright issue with uh, whoever owns the rights to that movie, but it's the stripes. Uh, but yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> to get serious for a second, Michael, you mentioned uh, you're talking about the game and, and having people, you know, the designer, you, you do so many things, you're working on it. But what does that mean? Um, and I mentioned this, I think pretty much every one of my reviews that I would classify as as negative, right? As overall, I, I just didn't enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. And I always try to explain why in the different aspects. And almost all of them, I end up saying, this game could have used a developer. You know, this game could have used someone besides the designer. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure there were 
play testers, but I'm talking, you know, more of a developer, someone more in charge, empowered yes. to make hard decisions and tell tell the designer, yep. no, you yep. know, th- or this needs to change, or are you sure about this? Why don't we try something else? And if that doesn't work, we can go back to this. You know, those ideas, um, just to to push the designer, to get the designer to the point where, and the design, you know, to push the design, put mm-hmm. it through the ringer so that when it's released, you can see that it's, it, it takes a village, right? The, the saying, the cliche saying, well, I think that probably is the case for a lot of war games as well, or should be the case. Yeah, you're right. I, I am actually producing on another title on a Compass Games title that will be called Red Banner Northern Fleet. And it's very similar to uh, War in the Atlantic, War in the Pacific type of games. It's very simple. It's very basic. But yeah, I, I totally understand what you're coming from because Sean Chick, the designer, gave me all of his design materials and I, you know, went through it with a fine tooth comb and started building on the, uh, on the play test materials and all that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it, sometimes you got to speak up, but, yeah. uh, um, anyway. my most famous or infamous review, I guess, is, uh, for devil boats from compass games, um, <laughs> yep. uh, Charlie award winner. <clears throat> I'm just saying, um, mm-hmm. la- la- also the last year, I think they're given an award for uh video reviews. So that, that says something, <laughs> but, um, so with that one, literally my biggest complaint ultimately came down to where was the developer? Where was someone that c- what said, what is this rule book, right? Yep. This yep. rule book had the first sentence basically says, Hey, Start rolling on chart number one, and that's how you learn the game. Yep. I, I disagree so much with that choice. And I feel like, you know, I've, I've seen the, the with the sequel or the next kind of game with a similar system. Is it, They're doing away with that. It's going to have a proper rule book, a proper introduction. Um, Do you mean, which is another you mean, thing that gets me going with rule books and, and you know, yeah. learning these games. But I could I could go on about that. It could be a whole other show. Yeah, trust me. I, I'm a technical writer. I've been a technical writer for 20 plus years. And I've worked a lot in manuals for computer games and board games. And I know exactly what you're meaning. So a lot of these you guys... Know, do not do manuals you know what's funny wayne is um i i ordered that game you're, you're talking about uh yeah. devil boats i think it was yeah and it, it was when i was it was it, i was between a move i was moving houses and something happened and i never i, I it got shipped to the wrong house or somewhere i never something happened i didn't get the package and i was gonna go back and try to see if i could find it but i actually watched your review on it and i was like you know <laughs> <laughs> I, I just truly really don't want to hunt this down anymore. <laughs> and I never got it. I never, never did get a copy. So, Wayne didn't know that this was coming. So, so it's not like he was offering up an infomercial on it, but we do have an episode coming up later this season on rule books and rule formats and, and different ways in which you can present the information needed to play the games. Uh, we're going to have a whole episode on that coming up here in a few weeks. I want to have more than one episode. That's good. That's like this topic. You're going to have a lot of episodes <laughs> of that. Yeah, well, the the whole thing is like we get a bunch of it done this season and then we can circle back to it next season. And then it's fewer ideas that I have to conjure up as we go from year to year. Right. And both of our listeners will appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Dude, we picked up at least a third having Cole Worley on the podcast, man. We, we got at least one extra one out of Then that. our three listeners will appreciate that. <laughs> three. When did it go up to three? Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> With regards to devil boats, Wayne, yeah. have you tried Chanel boats? So, um, no, I have okay. not. Um, I have, uh, and I, I don't want to get into the the nitty gritty details, the drama. Okay. Let's you know, let's avoid the drama. But um, 
for reasons of poor relation with the owner of Compass and such. I'm not providing them any sort of financial support anymore. Um, so if they were to send me a copy to review, I would give it a fair review. And I'm being honest, I would not, you know, I would give it a fair review, but I, I'm done purchasing Compass games um, I'm with my own money or money, you know, from the channel, things like that. So no, I haven't tried it yet. Understood. All right. I got a copy of it sitting here. I actually agree with you when it comes to double books. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute, Wayne. Did you make that decision? Um, did, have you ordered Carrier Battle Philippine Sea yet? Or have you? <laughs> yeah, no, I have not. All right. I, I, uh. I may have previously pre-ordered and I canceled my pre-order or something like that. So um, my uh, last yeah. couple, I think Anime Action Kharkov was my last um, Compass Games release um, that I got. It was a pre-order and I straight just took it and sold it. (laughs) Yeah. So that that, I'm just starting in that one and um, it's, I'm really liking what I see so far. It's solitaire only. And it's so far it's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. When you've been uh, personally called out um, in a a negative manner by, um, and had your reputation attempted to be tarnished by the owner of a certain uh, company, you're less likely, in my opinion, anyway, I I maybe I have some thin skin, but I'm less likely to give them that any more attention and they get plenty. They're good without me. They don't need me. um, You know, hawking their games at all they're doing just fine here comes the 10th season of the armchair dragoons podcast mentioned in dispatches let's thank all of our patreon supporters who pledged at the top level a huge thank you to stagger wing patrick garrity fred and his dog mike quigley joseph nor hethwell war games robert Patrick Mullen, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell and Trab Corey for their support of the Armchair Dragons and helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragons. I want to circle back to something that, uh, that that we talked about early on the outset of this, and that is the distinction between purpose-built solo games versus games that end up with a solo mode grafted on them. And and it's something that we've noticed here on our episodes going through the... Every fall when Compass sends out their big fold-out catalog, like we spend a whole episode going through the catalog and talking about the games. And there's always a bunch of stuff that's either solo designed or uh, has a solo mode. Let's face it, they're going to be grafted onto it more than anything. And I think part of that is probably some some marketing bias. Again, Wayne, you mentioned this earlier, trying to appeal to the widest possible audience. Correct. But looking at the games that are sort of purpose designed as solo games, I, I really feel like my my experience is going to be, you know, less than than the three of y'all. But I've I've you know done a handful. I had the big article on the White Tribe that was on the site. I was very high on Empires in America back when Victory Point first published that one, God, 10, 12 years ago at this point. Um, and, and they've had, you know, other editions of it come out. Um, it was one of the States of Siege games. They really, to me, sort of fall into two categories. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on these things. On one side, there's sort of the, the tower defense games, right? The States of Siege games, you're in the middle and you're just trying to keep everything at bay for as long as possible. Um, and there are variations on the theme. Castle Panic in the Euro game world is essentially a giant tower defense game. The other, the other predominant one that I've seen that I've had experience with is more of that solo narrative game, something like Ambush, something like uh, Fortune and Glory over in the more Euro adventure game world. I know, Michael, you had 
done some coverage of Fortune and Glory before, or things like the uh, the the um, what was the B twenty nine? Was it the B twenty nine with Michael? What was the Queen of the Skies game that you guys were doing some coverage of that that you were writing the AAR about? Uh, that was probably B twenty nine Super Fortress, yeah. From okay, uh, yeah. So so some of those narrative uh, America bombers, another one like the the Gregory Smith aircraft games, basically, right? Um, yeah that that have narrative driven style narrative element to it that's almost sort of i don't want to say calling it a choose your own adventure game seems very reductive but to an extent it can feel that way sometimes and so i look at more like an rpg like around some of these solo games how often have you seen things stick to those two sort of paradigm ideas? Um, what else have you seen besides just those two? And and kind of some thoughts on on where those two land in your preferences? Yeah, I can. Uh, I'll go first if you don't mind. Um, so let me just kind of look back, um, looking at my top six solitaire war games of of last year or well, of twenty twenty one. So I haven't done my twenty twenty two video yet. Um, but for twenty twenty one, so just run down just six games. Um, only one of them I would describe as the is states of siege and i mean it is states of siege system the rest are their own system so first off zero leader from dvg you mentioned chuck siegert um Excellent game, fantastic. Probably the best um, man, uh, rule book we've gotten from DVG in a while. So really appreciated that. Um, and then Chuck Seeger added a lot of a lot of little flavor bits to it that I really appreciated. Really made me feel like you know that's what that's what you were playing. Um, second, save South Vietnam from Fortress Games. Um, that is uh, probably my new favorite um, Vietnam game. Certainly my favorite solitaire Vietnam game. Um, Space Infantry Federation um, from Lock and Load. That is uh, one that's the States of Siege style. Um, from, I believe Chris Hansen did that one. I think that that's who did that one. Um, fourth, uh, drive on Suez, which is a Joseph Miranda, uh, world at war mag. It's a magazine game. Fantastic job. Really shows off the logistics of, um, North African campaign scream aim fire, uh, from tiny battle. So, which is a tactical squad level game, um, with an AI system. And finally, uh, Tarawa 1943 from Worthington. Out of those, none of those are a narrative and only one is States of Siege. So I guess, you know, and I'll be honest, it's one of those topics that I- I've heard said a lot from maybe people that don't focus on solitaire war games. They say, well, every war game is either States of Siege or maybe it's this narrative driven crap, right? Well, first off, I think both of those can create excellent games. Just depends on the design, right? The designer. Um, when I mentioned my top three war games for new war gamers, Stilico, Last of the Romans. Well, that is straight up uh, State to Siege style, but it is a fantastic design by Robert Dulesky. Um, It just, you have a lot of choices. It is that core system. You have so many good choices. That said, you know, as I just listed off, there's many other solitaire war games and maybe... Maybe 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. Um, maybe five years ago, even, but it, it's starting to change. And it's been changing for the last few years, if it wasn't before then. So I, in my opinion, and I am biased, 100% biased, because I focus on Solitaire War games. That's what I play. That's what I cover. That's my passion, right? I feel there are so many great games out there. And those are just six I mentioned. There's a dozen, two dozen that I probably either I played, but that someone else may love more or I didn't even get to play. So I feel like there is just a library. There is just a library of Alexandria, right? Of just these games out there, Salter games 
that are not can't be broken down to just saying, oh, it's a state to siege game. Yeah, I would My agree with that. I mean, it's it's My- um. Now I was gonna say I agree with what Wayne's saying. You know, to to say that they're either state to siege or narrative is just complete injustice, right? I mean, it's like kind of saying, well, it's just an operational game. Okay, well, there's you know, there's different right. takes on operational right. games. I mean, there are some fantastic states of siege games out there, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think I own Stilicon. I'm looking at my game shelf. Well, they, Wars, Wars of Marcus Aurelius, which is a fantastic game. I think it's the same designer, right? Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's still, still awesome. feels kind of a refined version of it. I would say it looks better. It plays better. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorites. And see, I didn't think Wars of Marcus Aurelius needed refining. It's that good. So I, yeah. I'll probably have to buy Stilicon. <laughs> Just to clarify, as I'm describing, I'm using States of Siege as one archetype of many of those sort of tower defense kinds of games. The example that I would throw out there is the the White Tribe from White Dog Games, when you're ostensibly the leader of Rhodesia trying to get through the the yeah. insurgency that. Uh, that, that eventually turned Rhodesia into Zimbabwe, that it, it's a tower defense game. You're sort of trying to keep, you know, keep the wolves at bay on multiple fronts in, in you know, ruling and in, in trying to shepherd Rhodesia through this, not just a military conflict, but a very heavy political element. Right. It's not a states of siege game. It doesn't follow the states of siege mechanic of the varying tracks upon, along which people are coming after you and whatever, but it's still very much a tower defense game, right? You're, you're kind of holding the middle and, and there's, there's a bit of a programmatic process through which the attackers are determined. It's, it's randomized heavily. But but they you know they're coming at you from a variety of directions and that's what the AI is driving. And it I think a bit of a I think South element, Vietnam right? and, and um, say it, it's save Afghanistan and save South Vietnam. Those are the two from Fortress Games, right? Yeah, correct. I know, yeah, the- I know they got the Air Force ones also, but I think both of those two are very similar tower defense games, even though they're not necessarily a states of siege specific mechanic. So so let's not get married too much to states of siege as the only kind of of thing like that. Right. No, but I think people do view it that way. People that, and this is another topic we need to discuss at some point is, you know, <laughs> some more gamers, the way they view people who say I'm a solo gamer, you know, it's like, well, you're, you're, you have leprosy stay over there. I think a lot of people look at solo games and think just what you said though, Brandon, that, oh, it's a state's a siege game. They're all like that. There's no difference in those games. I'm not going to play them. But you know, we had Amabel on one time and she said something that um, to me is what makes is the deciding factor on these things. And it's does the player have agency? And there's these states of siege game. We, it may be a, a tower defense. Even if the player has to make agonizing choices over what to do when it's his turn to do it, you've achieved your goal, in my opinion, in, in a good solitaire game. And if it's a states of siege game or if it's a tower defense type game. Are you having to make tough decisions? Are you having to actually, you know, think about what you're going to have to do? And then are you surprised when things go wrong or when they go right? Yeah, Mike, I think, you know, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to go to war against, you know, the two player wargaming crowd out there. Um, but, you know, it'd be, it would be like, in my opinion, looking at it, if, looking at a hex encounter, it's operational level game and saying, well, I mean, aren't they all kind of the same? You got some numbers on the counter. Sometimes they change, you know, hexes, movement values, you move around. Oh, maybe you count for logistics. It just, you're just changing the terrain. You're just changing the numbers on the counters. Well, that's, that's that's dismissing it too far, right? That's, that's boiling it down too far. It doesn't give credit to some of the amazing designs that are simulating and allowing you to play 
you know, and relive these conflicts, um, these campaigns over history and, and learn history, right? And have history come to life on your table. You know, if, if I can be a little dramatic, well, that's kind of how I feel about a lot of solitaire games, um, the good ones. And, you know, they're not all good. Um, but to say, to point out a, a bad one or one that's derivative or to just say, as as you said, Mike, you know, well, it's the state's a siege game. game. Okay. That doesn't tell me whether it's good or bad. I need more information, you know, before I can I can give that verdict on it. Yeah, I mean, that's why Ben Madison is one of my favorite solitaire only game designers. It's when you play, you, you pick any one of his games off the shelf. My favorite is still Don't Tread on Me. You know, if I play that, I'm going to have a great time. I still play that game. It's that good. But, you know, I can go pull off, what's his latest one that I've got? Uh Kaiser Creek, I think it is. Yeah, Kaiser yeah. Creek. That you Very, it's, it's it's another, what you'd call States of Siege game, but it plays so differently than Don't Tread on Me. And it's it's just a different game. And like you said, the big thing with Ben, I think, is the history that's there. So you have yeah. this nice historical package. Oh. So you're, you know, I'm a history, I love history. The theme and is wonderful. And I've exactly. seen it so many times I talk about my games, I talk about the games I love and in reviews. Is a theme come through? Do you, can you feel the history? And like, again, it, it sounds, maybe it sounds corny and a lot of us have very analytical minds. Um, but when you really get down to it, why are we doing this? We have an interest in history. We have a passion for it. And that's part of it, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Um, and it, it, it may be, it may be quote unquote bad history. It may be good history, but it's the fact it's something that, you know, our, our civilization, people as humans have gone through these challenges we face, challenges we've overcome or times where we've lost. And, you know, looking at specifically, yeah, Ben Madison, um, I love Jeff Davis, his game, Jeff Davis, you know, you, you're playing as a Confederacy, but you are, you're constrained and you, you're going to make some bad choices and you're, you, you're the bad guys. And at the end, you're basically, you're going to lose. Um, the noose is tightening. You're going to lose. Um, and, but he just brings the history and the theme through so heavily in a, a states of siege game at its core. But there's so much more to it that saying that I always I always say what it is, but I, I move beyond that real quick because this isn't just flip a card and roll a die. You know, this is beyond that, um, that you have player agency, you have choices. And that's where a good solitaire game, right, is you have choices, you have luck mitigation, there's going to be chaos, there's going to be luck. I mean, give me some dice to roll. That's what I want to do, baby. I want to roll some dice. <laughs> but give me some luck mitigation in there too, right? Give me a chance to strategize. Give me a chance to think ahead and plan. I don't want to just flip a card and roll a die. Sounds like, Michael, your, your proposed B-52 leader is going to dig people into the history, but from a slightly different angle. It's the history of the airframe rather than the history of the people on board or the history of a specific conflict. Is, right. that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. That's exactly what I'm hoping for. So I, I think uh, are you going to be able to put like cool nose art? Are you going to have a variety? <laughs> are you going to turn these into like collectible cards as an expansion to the game where you can, you know, horse trade cool nose art with your friends? Now, Brant, you give me ideas like that. I'm going to have to give you a credit. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea though i've, I've been trying to what's that can, you know we can build the cards and you I yeah they have, you know what i mean you build the cards how they look right. there you go bam you got it yeah i'm mm -hmm. gonna get blamed for making you know collectible cards the expansion <laughs> introduce, introduce those those terrible you know mechanics and ideas into wargaming how dare you? you're gonna have the old grognards <laughs> up in arms <laughs> not not for the first time yeah no and i i, I want to say you guys talking about um the, the, the whole actually I, I see this as pigeonholing and it's something I've talked about on the Solosaurus podcast I cannot stand pigeonholing of a game now it's pretty true sometimes you see an obvious game like Ottoman Sunset is obviously a state of siege system because it says it on the box I think uh, VPG I think was the first 
company to do that. I could be wrong, but I, that's what I'm thinking. It was my first perspective of I that. So. Yeah, but I, I don't like it hearing, you know, Ameritrash or or um, Eurogame or that kind of a thing because it's just, it drives me nuts because it's like when you're trying to describe a game to somebody else and why you like it so much or whether or why you don't like it, it's, it's you can't say this one word because it's like a magnet for opinion. You know, you could, you could say, oh, it's an Ameritrash type of game. Oh, okay, I don't like those. Or what the heck is that? I don't even know what that is. Um, you know, with Wargaming, it's a little more cut and dry where you've got hex movement or area control or, you know, things like that. Um, Just don't use the words model or simulation or you will be <laughs> accused of scientificating your hobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, too. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to make – I don't know. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I would think just from the things I've heard from the – I will say Eurogaming, even though I do not like using that word. But when I say, you know, difference between Wargaming and just normal games – like not normal games. Sorry. I, mean, like, <laughs> I was, like, was going to just, not being judgy at all. <laughs> I, I was, I was not going to say, you know, you tell some people you were a war gamer and they're like, oh, yeah. you're one of those, but there yeah, you go. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no, I play normal games too, everybody. I play normal games too, I swear. <laughs> then you're going down a whole slippery slope too. What the heck is a war game? You know, and you can ask a, a room full of a hundred war gamers what a war game is and you're going to get it maybe 50 different answers easily. I mean, you're going to have invariably the guys that say, Oh, it's this. Oh no, it's this. Oh, it's this. Uh, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. And it's really a matter of opinion. And I think one of the great things about this hobby is he can actually sit around and have these discussions uh, without having to draw a line in the sand, so to speak and say, it's this or it's this. And, you know, it, it's, it's totally up to you what you see and what you perceive. And to give you an example too, like for example, B17 queen of the skies, fantastic game that I absolutely adored back in the eighties. And I, I, it was, you're along for the ride. It's a narrative. You, you roll on tables. So that's all you do. You don't really make any meaningful decisions except for the names of your, of your crew. And that's kind of cool in and of itself. But I, I had this point in gaming where I'm like, I don't like this kind of thing. So I was playing B29 uh, Strata or Strata Fortress, <laughs> B29, um, uh, that, that solo game from uh, Legion. And I realized this is not Royals. What's that? Steve, I was say Steve Dixon. Yes. Narrative driven games. Yep. He did. Um, I've been playing Skyhawk recently from Legion just released. And I have Skyhawk also. So yeah, and Picket Duty as well. He's he's a great designer. But there was a point where I was like, I, I can't stand this. This is, there's no meaningful decisions to make. But as we've discussed here, you know, meaningful decisions don't necessarily have to make a good game. It's it's up to you to see how you like that. And I, once I have this perception that it's actually not bad being on rails, it's a narrative generator. And that's sort of like reading a good book. You know, you, you kind of going, you don't know what's going to happen on the next page. You flip the page, what happens? Oh, this is what happens. You roll the dice, go to whatever table you need to go to and you know, determine what happens next. A lot of people don't like that. But I think if you changed your perspective and maybe took a step back, and I'm not meaning you guys, I mean, just in general, as, as a gamer, you can get a heck of a lot more uh, fun out of these kind of things, especially if you're like, it, it's it's narrative driven. Eh, I'm done. I don't want it. I don't care. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not even going to look at it. Well, you know, think of it that way. Think of it like you're reading a really good book and you want to kind of, as you said, Brant, choose your own adventure. Um, you don't really make decisions, but you're still just along for the ride. And sometimes that's good enough. 
player agency thing is is one of those you know mike mentioned earlier that when we had amabel on on a previous show that player agency is a big deal and 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 in some cases you want that because you want to be heavily involved in weighing those decisions down in other times you want to be taken for a ride and yep. and make minimal decisions to it the challenge is if you're looking for agency and and you're along for the narrative ride you just sort of feel like a dice chucker for the ai right you're you're not making meaningful decisions you're just helping the ai make its decision and and the flip side of it is if you're looking for more of a narrative driven something and you end up in one of those games like a tower defense kind of thing most have been madison games uh something like uh steely cho with the uh where there are a lot of decisions to make that might drive you nuts because you just want to be entertained you don't want to have to be you know expending that much brain sweat and so i think part of it you know wayne you mentioned like you you explain the reasons why you don't like a particular game along the way and and you know it's good that you do that that you dig into the details of I didn't like it but here are the specific reasons why I'm always of the the mindset that pretty much any game out there has a fan right there there's there's somebody out there that's going to like just about any game for whatever various reasons there are. Yep. Even a poorly developed one, somebody's going to like that because they get to feel like they're fixing all the issues, right? They're the, they're the same people that buy houses that aren't in great shape because they want to fix them themselves. Um, and that's fine. You know, when, when you're describing the games, talk about this is for, you know, I, I didn't like this game for this reason. But if you like these other things, this might be the game for you. And that's cool. It, it's just a matter of making sure that you kind of look, I'm a I'm a project manager in my day job, right? The the phrase we always use, expectation management. You know, <laughs> make sure that what what people are expecting when they when they crack the game open is is what they're actually gonna get. Um so Wayne, run with that for a minute. Yeah. So, you know, tying back to reviews, right? A good, a good review and not all of mine are good, but I mean, some are, um, <laughs> but a good review, you're, you're not just, you're not saying, Hey, I don't like this game, period. Right. End of sentence. You say, I don't like this aspect and here's why. And I try to do it with all my reviews and everything I cover. And I, I know I don't always do it. And that's why I say my reviews are far from perfect. I've looked back and thought, or I've had people comment and ask a question. I say, yeah, I didn't really explain. Or someone said, well, what would you do different here? And I often would try to explain what I would do different. But at the same time, you, you reach a certain point where your reviews are so long, it's it's getting, it's cumbersome. And you know, people aren't going to make it all the way through. And it's just, that's not ideal either. Because you want to get across what a game is about. And a game that I say I did not enjoy does not mean it is not for everyone or it's not for you or you, right? It is, it wasn't for me. And here's why. And I think that also ties into when we talk about you know, being honest with, is a game have a good solo mode? Is it really a solitaire game? Is it, you know, or the complexity or what all those things that, you know, we, we don't have any sort of organized manner of describing these things with games, labeling them, going back to labeling a game. Is it this type of game? Is it that type of game? We love labels as, as humans, not war gamers as humans, right? We love labels because that's easy. It's quick in the, in the world of TikToks, you want to label something and we've been doing it for much longer than TikToks. But it's so much easier to get a point across by saying what the name of something or describing it in a sentence or two. But in all honesty, that does not give a true, honest accounting of something, whether it's a game that I didn't like, a game that I loved. I mean, me saying, I love this game. It was so much fun. Well, okay, what made it fun? Um, and I, I wanted to touch back on something that, Michael, you mentioned. Um, oh, it was... Um, 
choices. So player agency, right? Having choices. I think that we can get lost. And again, it gets into is the more you want to talk about it, the more you can kind of dig deeper, right? You find more details to look at impactful choices. So to say that, you know, and, and, and this is not judging either way, by the way, I'm just, I'm just commenting my thoughts on it. So you have a narrative game where maybe you have few choices. You know, I would say nowadays ones by Greg Smith, um, you, you have choices, not a ton. You're definitely, like I said, you're kind of creating a story a little bit on the rails. You have a, maybe you can take a left or a right, right? You can go on one rail or another. Now you have a hex encounter game. I'm playing and I play great battles of history and I've had hundreds of units, right? I have a hundred choices to make each turn, right? Yes. Technically, what am I going to do with each one of my units? But what are, what choices are impactful? What is the actual branching out of those choices? Is it just my choices really go forward? My choices maybe block this road or or this path. I mean, what are my honest, impactful choices that are going to have a long-term effect on my gameplay, my experience of it, whether I win or not? Um, so I think that being able to make choices is is good for the most part. But at the same time, what are those choices, and are we able to um, still have fun while also maybe learning something? experiencing history or in all the many quote unquote war games, right. That don't cover historical that look to the future. Um, I talked about space imagery federations, right. It is something that you're creating this whole story of your, of your own, right. A science fiction story. doesn't mean it's not real. Um, but you, it's up to you to kind of create that. So, um, anyone else want to jump in? Mike, that's your cue. Uh Oh, Bueller. I Mike's, it. Mike's not Mike. No, I'm bad. I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. I, had, I, I started uh, going off at the end there. My apologies. Kind of. No, no. I was, I've got something else going in the background here. So, so, all right. Where were we? I'm sorry. <laughs> ask again, Brant. I'm letting Wayne ask again. So, talking about uh, choices in games and whether they are impactful choices. If you have, you know, you can choose a, a counter, you have a hundred counters and you're going to give orders to all of them, but are, do you really have, you know, is it true sandbox? You can do anything or in all honesty, is it going to be okay? Well, most of these guys are going to move forward. A couple are going to move to the flank. A couple of them are going to block this road. Um, and then I'm going to make sure my supply lines open and okay. My turn's over. So you mean, are you talking compare comparing multiplayer to solitaire games? Just or comparing, just um, you know, discussion of choice narrative. with narrative, right? narrative driven games let's say where even the new ones with greg smith you know you, you have choices maybe more than b17 queen of the skies did but you still have right a few choices you're on rails but you can maybe change rails you know left or right versus you know oh i have 100 choices and then it's hex encounter game but do you really and how impactful are each of those choices right yeah i you know, i'm at a disadvantage here because I, I i'm trying to look at my shelves at what narrative type games i might actually own because I, I don't even recall playing any narrative game i've got um I think the closest thing I have is Enemy Coast Ahead, Do Little Raid, and I, I, I've heard that described as a narrative game. So that is, but it actually has. I would, I would say the full campaign game has a lot more strategic choices to it. You know. Yeah. I and I so. Like, it, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, and so I. It, it, if, if you're going to do a narrative type game, then there you go. I think that's how you have to kind of make up for just not rolling dice and, and turning a table over and, and checking something else out. If you have a campaign and you have, uh, what do you call it, um, an investment in the game you're playing, you have a crew or you have a set of a couple of bombers that you're taking through campaigns, I think then you've got a lot more reason to play that narrative game than not, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I did that with B-17 Queen of the Skies when I was playing it in the 80s. I put my uh, my friends <laughs> into the bomber and, and there was some you know buy-in for me there and, and cared about what would happen to them. I think 
when you're playing and you can feel the theme and you get excited and you can feel the history and maybe you can, you know, you can put an aspect of yourself into it. You know, that's something that's not tangible, right? You can't quantify that. You can't put that on the box. Um, you know, and it's maybe hard to describe to people, but I think that's why games like uh, B-17 Queen of Skies, for example, is such a, I mean, it is part of the war gaming culture, right? Wargaming. It is people. I've, I've never played it. It's an older game. Um, I don't often play older games. I've ever played that one. I've played many narrative style games that are similar to that, right? Whether it's the Greg Smith's, the hunters interceptor race um, from him, or uh, we talk about uh, Steve Dixon's, you know, pick a duty, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I played many, many of those types of games, but I think that you can't quantify that, but it's still valid. And it's still a huge part of wargaming. And I think that, and what I also like to look at it is, and this is maybe getting a little up in the clouds, but when you have something that drives interest in the hobby, we should embrace it, right? Let's not be negative. The The negativity maybe could focus on, hey, how could this be better, right? The criticism. Well, I think this could be better this way. But instead of saying, oh, those don't even, those aren't even war games or those are, eh, whatever. What is that? It's a, you know, choose your own adventure book. Ah, that's a disservice. You know, someone put a lot of time into it and I bet there's people that enjoy it. And that probably, or at least is a good chance to lead that person into other aspects of war gaming. And it's only going to help our hobby in the long term. Yeah. And see, I don't get that. And, and, and there are people I know that don't understand people who like to play solo war games and there are people in the war gaming community and i won't mention names that just don't get why someone would want to sit down and play a game solitaire and i think they don't understand i mean this is a whole other show right but i i, I think they don't they don't yeah that's a whole other show we don't want to go down <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand that some people just don't like other people no, see, that's the first thing everybody says is, oh, well, you can't yeah. find anybody to play with. Well, OK, that might be one reason that someone might choose to play a solitaire game, but that's not the only reason why someone might choose to play a solitaire game. I don't think the walls are quite sorry. I don't think the walls are quite as uh, high as they used to be, though. If you look at wargaming history and go back, say, to the 60s and 70s and guys that were playing war games back then, it was very, very limited. Obviously, there weren't a lot of titles. And just the fact that we can have this conversation today shows you how much it's changed in the last 40 years. And grown, right? I mean, I, exactly. I think it's, it's, it's exponentially. Yep, exactly. But it's like I mean, what Wayne was saying, though. I just, I don't understand, you know, the wargaming hobby is small enough as it is. Why do we want to subdivide ourselves even further and, you know, cast disparagements on solo wargamers? And then in the, the solitaire community, like you were saying, there are people that say, well, I don't want to play a narrative game. It's narrative only. Well, maybe give it a try. And, and if you don't like it, then don't knock it. Somebody else enjoys it, you know? So yeah, there's a difference between it's not for me versus that game sucks. Yep. And I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's easy for people and it, we're all, we're all human. We're all people. It's easy to fall into that of saying, well, I didn't like that. So it's, it's no good period. Right. Well, that's, you know, it, I, I've tried to train that out of me as, you know, part of my channel for the content creation aspect of it. But as one of the many people, you know, many people who just play war games. Yeah. There's, there's games where I've played, where I've looked at it and said, man, this isn't, I didn't like this at all. And some things I haven't even covered on my channel, even though I spent time with it because I knew I probably didn't have a lot of positive feedback to give. But I tried to avoid, you know, putting that out there and just saying, ah, this is no good for anybody. Don't even look at it. Well, what is, but that doesn't, I don't think that really helps anybody. And I'm not saying most people don't like this either, by the way, but just in wargaming, I think that there is an aspect of, you know, gatekeeping, right? That we need to combat. We need to prevent, we need to prevent people um, from gatekeeping others into either into the wargaming hobby in general 
or into different aspects of it. You know, I don't care if you say, ah, you know what? I just don't like, um, you know, any of um, David Thompson's designs, you know, Landsworth Ridge. And I, you know, he does these kind of, he does some of these like Ameritrash, euro games and these games he's doing with war games. And they're kind of barely war games. I don't know if I like them. You know, I've, I've, I may or may not have heard some people kind of say that. Well, then that's okay. You don't have to like them, but please, please, you know, don't, don't look at anyone else who plays them in a negative manner. Don't judge them based on that because that person who discovers that game may now look at other war games that are more to your liking, right? And suddenly, oh, you oh, you also like this too. Well, now I want to talk to you. So, yeah, you don't have to like them all, but please be just accepting of other people's tastes in games. That is perfect way of putting it just because two things come to mind immediately and the first is our Ben Madison getting banned from BGG. And I don't know if that's still the case or not because of some spirited discussion, let's say around the game, the first Jihad. Uh, some people just couldn't handle that discussion and therefore this happened. And that's kind of a sad thing that this was in the first place. And then also, of course, the very famous GMT game that was going to cover colonialism in Africa that never occurred, even though there's plenty of games that do that exact subject. And I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing either way. I'm just saying for me, these games, war games, are a path to history, and I love reading about it. And if it's something that I'm not aware of or, or not really clear on, this kind of thing sparks that interest for me. So, you know, that might have been a gateway for me to learn more about the game. You know, playing it, playing the history gives you a better perspective than maybe just reading a book about it. But it also means I'm going to want to go out there and learn more about it, too. So, and, and I'm all about the learning process in, in any way, shape or form. If uh, we have one case in common game, there was some bad history involved, and that was part of the problem. Okay, yeah. I might be putting that too lightly then, but you, you get the you get the gist of what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, I, I think what so at its core, I think the one thing we all have in common, right, is a love of history. Yep. Um, I think that you know different opinions on this or that game systems, designs, mechanisms. That's fine. We can argue. We can talk. We can debate, and that's okay. But we all have a, we all have a love for history that brings us together for this. Um, and I think that's only should be encouraged. I'm not big on, you know, we can get into the nitty gritty of, of the, and I don't, I don't know all the details on the GMT game. I know about Ben Madison, what happened to him. Um, you know, I had my, after my, my, uh, devil boats review, I was banned from the solitaire, uh, Facebook group for like 12 hours. Um, so <laughs> that'll teach you. <laughs> yeah. I learned my lesson. Um, you know, I, I don't, I just don't think we need to silence people for, just because we disagree with them. Um, and Can we all just take a moment and laugh at the absurdity of a solo Wargamers group? <laughs> we, we all roll dice alone or together alone or something. I think there was some tagline I saw like that for some more solo group. I don't think it was a war game. It was like solo board gaming. I thought it was pretty funny, but can I can I tell you how much funniness I've heard over just the the solo source concept and Martin and I talking about solo games and people are like why? But it's solo gaming. These are people who don't really know a lot about solo gaming, and so when I talk to them about the podcast, they're like, you're, "There's two of you talking about playing by yourself. That makes no sense." But you know, it is <laughs> yep. they warm up to it. But you know, there are big people. They're not big people. There are people that are big into multiplayer, though, and they'll say crazy things too, like we should do away with conventions. So you know, it, it, there's craziness on both sides. That's true. There's plenty of craziness to go around. <laughs> All right. Well, one of these days we're gonna, you know, do the the opposite side of the mirror for for the solo wargaming podcast and do the, you know, like multi more than two player gaming you know, podcast and make sure we cover that as well. Um, but well, that, that, that's why that was a reference to my friend, Jim. I, he really should have been on this uh, <laughs> podcast tonight. <laughs> Why? <should we> be- <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that would have been fun to have him on. <laughs> oh, no, no.
Yeah, 90 minutes of Jim being mad at you guys. That's 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 a good move. No, no, we would explain to him, we would explain to him why he shouldn't be mad at us, and then we would all sing a song at the end. And you really think you'd change his mind? No. To, a, to an extent, yes. I, Jim is one of those that just doesn't understand. He thinks we all play by ourselves in our basements and we just we can't find people to play with, you know, and that's just that's one take on uh, Jim, 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 Jim. I don't I don't want to call yeah. Jim out because I have not I, I don't have the pleasure of actually meeting him, getting to talk to him, but I remember um brant i think it was you him and um uh, gary right who did uh, Ardwolf, who did a show that i did a, like a rebuttal video to and i remember Probably. one of the things <laughs> that um he said was um shoot what was he saying oh there was oh, what's what's the game i can't oh, i wish i could remember but it was it was a game that is literally it won awards as a war game it has a solid has two player and has solitaire components uh or uh was it u-boat it. when we were picking on u-boat no, this was a, a newer design this, from um this was when we did the Compass uh holiday catalog. Um <laughs> and you did a rebuttal to that, I think is what it was. It, it was, was there, well one he was nominated, it was the game was nominated for a Charlie um a year ago. Two it years was ago, the maybe. it was the map, right? It was the the barber the Barbary War. Um I can't why I can't believe it. Triple Yes, yes. First of all, my apologies towards <laughs> Triple A. I was <laughs> I mean I've covered I, that on my I, channel. Look, I'm apologies. a I, I'm on record as having said many times I am a fan of Shores of Triple A. I think it's yeah, a great game. Said, he said it's not a war game. I just remember that distinctly <laughs> and I said, What the and you know, again, I'm not I'm trying to pick on him. I'm sure he didn't really mean it. No, no, we but <laughs> No, not, nothing negative against Jim. Jim is. I love it Jim made me laugh because I'm like, I got to like, awesome. do a rebuttal video to this whole this whole thing, and then that started. I think that Brant that got me and you talking, and you know, you quick quickly Probably got me on your somewhere. show here. <laughs> yeah, we're still trying to get you to show up with one and join us at one of the conventions too. So one of these days one, one of these days, days. Oh, i've had yeah it, it's one of those things where in jokes about solitaire war game aside i would love to go to a convention um just life life you know everything with my son um in his journey and all that and uh it's just been been tough to to say hey uh hey honey i'm gonna go to this you know war game convention <laughs> in texas or connecticut or wherever you guys have them so one day though it's taken us 15 years to try and get michael back to one that's true yeah that, that's same boat for me. Hey, honey, I'm going to go to a gaming convention for a week. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huh, well, let me think of it. Because I always get, you should go to this gaming convention. Aren't you going to go? Really? You should get out of here and go to that convention. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to buy any games, right? Oh, of course not. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just going to look at them. Right. And I'll go and drool. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna trade a bunch of them with other people, which, yeah. which has been known to happen. Right, it has, it has. It's it's been known to happen. I'm gonna win a bunch of them in the raffle because I'm very lucky that way. <laughs> I, I think I, I lose points with my wife over uh, review copies showing up, and I'm like, honey, I didn't pay for this. They just sent this to me. She's like, oh, okay, right. and I can just see it in her eyes that there's, you know, I lost a little bit, little bit there. <laughs> and, and and see, I, I don't get review copies, but I say that when things show up at the house, and and no, you say it, it anyway. <laughs> Which is the same, right? Oh, this is a review copy. As long as she doesn't look at the invoices. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I'm going to review it, but. Yeah. <laughs> review copy paid for by me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's for review purposes, so it's not wrong to say review copy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
So let me ask a question going back to some of the solo designed games. Um, in, in terms of the descriptors that you guys see in the packaging of some of the solo games, think back to some of the ones that, that good or bad, but can you remember or think of any particular solo designed games where the marketing copy um, didn't particularly match the experience that you ended up with playing the game. Not because, and it's so a Wayne, like take Devil Boats out of this, right? Not because it, it, it right. needed a developer, but because the the stated type of gameplay or the expectation you had going into it of these are the kinds of things I expect to be doing in the game are not the things that I actually ended up doing in the game. Um, and, and so, you know, Mike, start with you. Is, is there, I, I know you've done a bunch of like multi-handed, you know, solo play of games, but but some of your purpose designed solo games out there, um, have there been times where, where it sort of sold itself as one thing, but you ended up experiencing something very different? I can, one that stands out and I actually like the game. It's not a bad game it, for me was Midway Solitaire and it wasn't what I got, what I was expecting, let me say, was something that simulated more the cat and mouse game in the Pacific where I'm trying to find Japanese carriers before they find me. But what I got was more of a States of Siege type game where I had these tracks of Japanese fleets coming in towards me and I'm trying to fend them off. So that one kind of took me by surprise. It was a good game, like I said, a fun game and I enjoyed it but it just, it was not what I expected. Yeah. Wayne, what about you? What, what's, yeah. again, leaving aside underdeveloped some things, right? Of course. You know? um, so, well, just to kind of touch on, this isn't my choice, but touch on what, what Mike said, um, Midway Solitaire. I enjoyed that um, game quite a bit. The number one thing that I heard from people, it, and it's it's obvious, but it just kind of, I don't know why it makes me laugh, was people saying, well, it doesn't just cover the Battle of Midway. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's <laughs> true, too. It may yeah. say Midway Solitaire. It, it's not. It's uh, it's basically the, what, latter half of 41 through yeah. uh, the middle of 42 in the Pacific like that that's what it is you know but that doesn't have quite the same ring to it as uh, Midway Solitaire and probably would sell a few less copies so I get that but, that's true um, and you may or may not have a battle at Midway in that game <laughs> yeah it, it, no kidding um but I did enjoy that one but so thinking um of games that maybe not quite as described but actually and I think of two and I, I but I did like both of them um first one I want to say from GMT uh Flashpoint South China Sea from Harold, Harold Buchanan um if the from the description from what I read, I, and again, I did actually like the game. Um, in fact, I love the system, but at its heart, it's just a cube pusher, right? It's a play card. You can play it for the points, buy cubes, or play it for the event. Um, it card-driven game, right? Very simple. But for for some reason, and maybe this is not me, when I was looking at it and kind of looking at the design, looking at some of the, the coverage of it, I thought, man, this thing is dripping with theme, which in reality the theme could be anything, you know, you could be farming and like, you're putting out wheat, you're putting out soybeans, like, Oh, 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 there's weeds coming in. You know, like literally it could be any theme pasted on it. The map could look like anything, but the design, the engine, the system is so good. I just kept overlooking it. I'm like, I don't care that I could, this could be anything. I'm having so much fun, like cat and mouse, even with the bot. Right. And you can, in the game, you can play either, um, as America or as China, which of course I always played as America. Um, and it's just fantastic game overall, but the theme is like, whoa, it, it could be anything. Um, and then the second game I want to mention is, um, from Lock and Loop Publishing point blank V is for victory. So I did not play, um, I want to say what's the old uh, upfront. It's kind of based on upfront, right. Inspired by upfront. I never played that, but when I saw this, it's this card based game. I felt like it was going to be in card based tactical 
World War II game. I thought it was going to be like Warfighter. It's nothing like Warfighter. And, you know, the when it comes to the terrain, so it comes with the, a map, like a big map, foldable map board you put out. They actually, those have nothing to do with the game. It's actually just a, basically they said like, we maybe should put this with it so people understand we're talking about with terrain. The terrain is based on cards, on terrain cards, and you're moving around through the terrain cards. At the same time, the line of sight is handled a little awkwardly for me, but it's, I, I enjoyed it. It's also a lot heavier than it seemed like it would be. It seemed like this is going to be so much easier to learn than say lock and load tactical right it's gonna be a game that it's a card game card based tactical game this is what i want these are the types of games i love full solitaire uh oh no this is this is a brain burner a little bit at least for me um and again an enjoyable game but it's one of those things where i feel like going in and that's why i'm always very clear i'll tell you in my i'll do a review and i'll say oh i love this game and he, and i love the game for this it says but beware it may seem like it's x but really it's y see i think war gamers of a certain vintage saw that and thought of dvg's warfighter series war gamers <laughs> of a slightly more mature vintage saw point blank views for victory and, and immediately thought of up front yep and, and it's that's that's a, a big difference there there's just a generation gap there of of what folks looked at and I think point blank V is for victory is much closer to upfront than it is to absolutely it, nothing like Warfighter. Just in case anyone's listening to this thing, oh, I should check. It's nothing like Warfighter. It's a good game in its own but it's this big, is the part where i'll point out that dvg's warfighter is nothing like the original warfighter game that was out 10 years before dance so which is not a solo game a completely different thing <laughs> oh then no interest here <laughs> <laughs> Michael, what what about you? So something that you grabbed along the way that sort of sold itself as one thing, but in reality turned into something a little different, whether you liked it or not, a solo game that didn't go the way the marketing copy sort of explained it to you. There's a couple that come to mind, but before I get into that, I can talk a little bit about the the, the fact that in the early 80s, and, and your guys' perception of this might not be the same, but for me in the early 80s when Victory Games started doing this, adding a scale on the back of the box that said, this is the complexity of the game on a scale of, I think it was four boxes, and solitaire suitability. And that really made things much better for me as a solo gamer. And I know that everybody pretty much does that these days. I mean, there's even some that do it on a scale of one to 10 on the back of the box. I can't, I, I'm seeing that in my mind, but I can't remember the publisher that does that. But uh, uh, GMT does it, you know, everybody does it now. And starting back then though, it was like, oh, cool. It's got all four boxes ticked, man. This is a solo game. Cool. Um, I, I think specifically about Ambush, all of the Ambush modules, which is a game by Victory Games from back in the day, which is insanely expensive now if you can find it. But it's it's a really good game in my mind. It's kind of on rails, but not really. It's paragraph driven. And it's my understanding that the uh, the developers had such a hard time with it and it was a nightmare and they didn't really like doing it as they were developing the game because it was such a pain to keep everything straight. But that series was awesome. And then uh, Battle Him, which is the same system, but in the Pacific. So Ambush was in Europe and Battle Him in the Pacific. You guys know this, but listeners might not. And then... Um, I, I was just writing this wave of these games. I just love these games. They're solo only, man. I mean, there was a few others that did that, but not everything. It was mostly two-player stuff, you know, where you had to go head-to-head -head and play it multi-handed or, you know, something like Third Reich or World in Flames. I had to play all those, uh, all the sides myself, you know, and this was like the bots handling and everything's handling it. This is great. 
And then I ran into Open Fire, which was a solo game for tank combat in Europe by Victory Games, same people that made Ambush and and um, and Battle Him. I was really excited about that, and it wasn't anything like either one of those games. It was so crushingly disappointing. I will never forget that feeling. Uh, I, I oh, I despised that game. It was so terrible. I, but you know, you look at the back of the box. It says it's solo, and it was. And you know it. It just seemed like a fantastic choice, you know, going from squad combat to tank combat. Uh, but back, you know, nowadays, that's not a problem. You can find plenty of that. But back then, not so much. So that really destroyed me on the whole series. Um, another one, I I don't know if it's necessarily falling in this category, but one that I've adored for years is Mosby's Raiders. Another Victory Games title, go figure. But it's it's... I wasn't sure what to expect when I bought that game. Usually back then you see solo all the, all, you know, off the scale chart. It's a solo game. You, I bought it immediately and I would play the heck out of it. And I didn't know really what to expect with that. I didn't know anything about the history. I didn't, I mean the civil war, of course, but I didn't know anything about Mosby or his, or his Raiders or the work they did behind union lines. It's, it gave me such this, such a broad perspective of this side of the civil war that nobody really talks about. You know, they talk about, the big battles, Bull Run, uh, Chancellorville, uh, Gettysburg, of course, everything is, is I think every single battle in the Civil War has been simulated to death. But this kind of thing, doing guerrilla warfare kind of a thing, it, it really it never really got touched on at, at that time. And that game just always has sat with me as being pretty awesome. I've got it on Tabletop Simulator. And the funny thing is, even to this day, I can just crack it out and start playing it without really having to get into the rules too deeply. Because uh, I know it so well. That's sort of like I call it my access and allies phase because I went through a phase where I could set up that game blind <laughs> after playing it for years and years. But but I'd have to go with Mosby's Raiders for sure on that. All right. Now, wait, you've mentioned I, I, I'm required to do this because you mentioned the complexity ratings and the solitaire suitability ratings on the back of these game boxes. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced that there is a dartboard manufacturer out there that sells <laughs> dartboards with all of those rankings on them. And these publishers take a dart and throw it and assign the rating based on where that dart lands. Maybe with that, complexity. That's how, that's how useful those ratings are in most cases. That, that's a good I, point. I the same thought. What was that, Wayne? I would say I had the same thought as okay. Mike. <laughs> I, I think that with complexity, because it really depends on you as, as a gamer. You know, some people might think uh, a game A is way too complicated, but you play it and you think there's nothing to that. Game B is really complicated. Oh no, it's not. B is really easy. You know, it just depends on your perspective. But the solo aspect of it, something like Ambush, solo game. There, I don't think there's okay. Oh no, no. If, if it's a solitaire game, no. But there are games. There are games that are multiplayer games that will actually have a solitaire rating on the back, and the solitaire uh, ratings sometimes are, I think, okay. are exaggerated greatly. <laughs> that, that's a good point. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And usually, I, I'm very hesitant about any such games. And I talked to Martin about this on the podcast before. It's just just it, it's very makes me very standoffish when it's tacked on or when it's a expansion you know i, it, I can give you a exact example of that um it's the same designer the same system but two different publishers and one rates his designs as high solitaire and one is low um and and i, I enjoy the games by the way let me preface it so don't get mad at me michael uh, michael Ranella <laughs> and with his area impulse games um, so when you look at them with Revolution Games, the ones published by Revolution Games, um, so say Operation uh, Battle Axe or um, uh, Patton, um, he has several, many, and I, I the ones I've played, I've enjoyed. Um, I believe it, they're rated high solitaire. However, his exact same um, system, um, you know, very similar to each other anyway. 
um, for against the odds magazine rates him as low solitaire. And it's, I mean, it's this exact, it's the same, it's area impulse, you know, maybe the sunset die roll mechanic. I mean, there, there's not, you know, we're not talking about a difference. Well, these have hidden units. No, nothing like that. There's not hidden units in there, but the publisher in this case, the two different publishers, um, will determine in that case. So I'm sure sometimes up to the designer, like I, I kind of mentioned before, you're talking about a game like um, Absolute War, right? Where clearly Carl Paratus, you know, and he is an accomplished designer with many fantastic designs, no retreat, absolutely. Um, he, I'm sure said to GMT, yeah, this is high, high solitaire. And they're like, okay, even though it's not really high solitaire suitability, right? Well, yeah, um, it, and that's the thing. Like there's there's no universal grading system even within the company itself. The, the it, Absolutely. The so, company's asking the designer, hey, where would you rank this yep. on X, Y, or Z? And, and I- I, I know specifically this because I've seen him and this is it's, it was public. So again, Michael, my apologies. He, I saw him basically post um, with against on one of the uh, against the odds forums, maybe on constant world saying to them, oh, hey, I see it's rated low. Um, it actually is, you know, suitable for solitaire play, which I play in solitaire and I don't have a problem with it. And I, I would not rate those, his gaming system, that system, I would not rate them as low at all. It doesn't have hit information. I wouldn't rate them as low, maybe medium, maybe not high because they don't have a solitaire system itself. You'd have to play both sides, but I, at least a medium, I would say. So it definitely, like you said, Brand, I mean, it is, it kind of, it, it comes down to the designer and then what that publisher, are they just going to listen to the designer? Or are they going to input their own? There's no third party. And I'm not saying there should be. You know, this this isn't a multi-billion-dollar industry like movies, where you send your movie off to a ratings system. They look at it and they say, "Okay, this is the rating it's going to have." Clearly not. That's ridiculous. But maybe a little more consistency would be nice for everybody and more helpful. But the other thing that's missing too, Wayne, is when they say solitaire suitability. Again, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning of this podcast. What's what do you what's your definition of solitaire? Yeah, is it so? You know, so what is that designer or or that developer? What when he says when they ask him, what do you think this is solitaire wise? It's suitability. You know, what, what's in his mind? What's he thinking in terms of, is it two-handed? Is it a solitaire game? Is it, oh yeah, you can play all four sides yourself and have a great time. You it's, know. And I, just, I think there's a difference between can it be done and should it be done? Um, you know, look, you can make pickle flavored soda. That doesn't mean you should. So, you know, you, you can play a coin game solitaire by using the bots for the other three players. I wouldn't recommend it sort of kills the vibe of how the coin game should be played. But so, so, is that solitaire capable? Sure. Does that really mean that you have a solitaire mode for that game? Eh, I'm not sure I would want to make that argument. And, and you know, Mike, this goes back to your point. The fact that you include a solitaire scenario or two, yeah, it might be solitaire friendly, but is it is it an actual like solitaire capable, you know, out of the box, I, you know, I'm going to get my money's worth playing this by myself the same way I would if I had a regular gaming partner or group to play with. And that's that's a tough sell to make. And and I would I would see you as being rightly justified in complaining that, no, that's not really solitaire friendly or, or solitaire enabled. I'm hoping that now that GMT has the GMT one program and sort of somebody honchoing their, their solitaire gaming efforts there, that, that they've got some sort of clearinghouse that they're getting involved in. Hey, how solitaire friendly is this really? And let's try and standardize some of those descriptions. I, I would really, can we get them on and do a podcast? I would really know, would love to know what they're up to. <laughs> I mean, I've heard, you know, you're allowed to invite people too. (laughs) 
It doesn't <laughs> I've all heard have that, to be me. I've heard that GMT has this this top secret solitaire whatever it is going on. I, that's all I've heard though. What are they doing? What is it? Are they are they writing rules for existing games? Did you play you solitaire? Obviously, I mean, confused me for somebody <laughs> that works at GMT. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you work at Armchair Dragoons. I'm saying, can't you get them on and we can do a podcast and ask them what the heck they're doing? Okay, look, I sent out two different emails before the season said, Hey, who wants to do what topics? And you didn't mention this once. Well, we didn't talk about it. Feel There's free to make the invitation to those guys. Brand, I've been brand. I've been dodging you for months, if not years at this point, And you finally got me on. So if you can get me on, you can get anyone on. All I'm saying is it doesn't have to be me chasing people around. Other folks are welcome to invite people to the podcast. I, I think I'm, GMT I'm happy to share the load. I think GMT read the read the writing on the wall and looked at it and said, man, solitaire games sell and they're successful <laughs> and people talk about them and people enjoy them. Right. And again, I'm not even trying to be critical when I say they sell because we, we, we look at that sometimes we say, well, that's a, oh, you want to sell something? How bad is it? You're evil. Well, no, I mean, if these companies don't sell games, they won't be in business to make more games, right, to publish more games. So they say. I, I think so. I think they created this division where, and I, I don't work for them. I don't. I don't know the, the what they're doing in their little bunker while they're working on them. But I think it's pretty clear when you look at some of the designs that then they have. Some are solitaire design, but some many are the games they were as design, right? A two-player game, maybe a multiplayer that have a solitaire mode now attached to it, right? Written by someone else. Jason Carr, right, comes in and makes a solitaire mode for um, the Harold Cannon um, that I just, I just talked about. Um, the uh, flashpoints I'll trying to see, right? Right. So here we can and made this game. It's car driven game. Jason Carr came in and made the solitaire mode for it. And it's excellent. Solitaire bots for both sides, a little flow chart, easy to follow. Um, it's not a separate game. It's the game, just you follow the flow chart. But because the game's simple enough, unlike maybe a coin game, right? It's very playable solitaire, super playable. Um, I think that's what GMT is doing because they understand that solitaire gaming and it, it and i'm you guys mentioned this earlier it's growing it's growing now from where it is and yeah. you know i'm not going to say it's the future of wargaming that's not that's not true what, what i'm saying though it is it is going to become a bigger part of the pie of wargaming and i will say kudos to gmt for publishing stuka joe's uh, solo method for it, the card driven games that was genius awesome genius yeah and, and and welcome to people right i mean good for Good for them and good for the community and good for gamers. Um, give exactly. People option. Give people that option, right? Exactly. And and I, you know, I, I actually I did a playthrough of I think it was Command and Colors Tricorn using Stuka Joe's method, and it's you know I, I played it two handed, playing both sides best you can, and then I played using his system, and it it's a different game. So and, I mean, he did an excellent job of designing that system. And yeah, thank thanks thank you GMT for picking that up and, and publishing it. And I think they're coming out with another. I think there's a um, an expansion of that coming up pretty soon. Yep. He's got a second one coming out. I'm not sure when exactly, but it's coming out. I've got the first one myself too, and I agree with you. And but then also, Wayne, going back to what you talked about, I hope that what they're not doing is taking a game that's out there and I you know, something that covers like the American War for Independence, and they go pick up a game on that and say, well, we're going to design a, a solitaire add-on to that and give me something that's not the full campaign, right? Because this is what we see in the games we were talking about earlier, where here's the Pacific War. Uh, play, you know, the entire 1941, 1945, both sides. And if you want to play solitaire, we've got a special 1942 scenario just for you. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I want to play the whole war. 
So I'm hoping that whatever GMT is up to is, is nothing like that. I'm hoping they're actually, it's more along the lines of a Stuka Joe type thing where you're going to give me a system that I can use that I can apply to an existing war game. I want that, the full game, the full game and experience. Where, it could be modified, right? A little bit. To a degree, it could be modified, of course. I don't want a limited scenario. I'm with you 100%, Mike. I don't want a yeah. limited scenario that I open this box and if I buy this game and it's X amount of dollars and it's heavy and I get, you know, my hernia is acting up and I open it up and <laughs> I set it up and all these, and then, Oh, Oh, like I, to re- really a solitaire mode is only this small aspect of it. That's a disappointment. You right. Know, that's a tutorial mode to learn the game. Here's your solo mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. No, <laughs> you know, there I are games and I won't name, there are games I think that do that where they'll say, you know, Oh, this includes solitaire play. And then the solitaire play is a learning scenario. And you're like, yep. okay, that's not a solitaire. <laughs> so I want to throw out one last thing quick here before we, uh, before we call it a night. Um, I mean, it's a night as we're recording this, although it could be, you know, the morning walk with the dog, depending on when people are actually listening. It's This is something that's a lot less prevalent in the wargaming world, but you do definitely see it in, in the Eurogaming adventure gaming world. Um, Mike, I know you and your wife played a bunch of Gloomhaven. Um over you know the last two or three years whatever um and and, and we have all 50 pounds of frost haven sitting on on the floor yeah, right now. yeah well causing the floor to sag right now <laughs> it's on the second floor so it's sagging into the first floor so where do you where do you come down on sort of co-op versus solo play given that that you know, co-op is it, there's there's a shared partnership in that you're playing on the same side, but you're still sort of playing against kind of the, you know, the the AI, for lack of a better term. You're still playing against the system in the game. Um, talk, to, talk to us a little bit about kind of the difference between solo versus co-op in, okay, in sort of the solo design, because there there are very many co-op games that can very easily be played solo, not playing multiple you know, roles, just playing it, you know, one person against the game. Talk to us a little bit about kind of the difference in feel there between solo and co-op, and then we'll we'll grab Wayne and Michael's thoughts on it after that. Okay, you're, you're going to make me talk about the Charles S. Roberts Awards, so let's get it over with now. I because wasn't they're, trying they're, to. There, there is a category. I didn't mention them at all. <laughs> well, there is a category that's just that best solitaire or cooperative board game, and I hate that category. I, I think it needs to be changed. A solitaire war game should be just that, a solitaire war game. One player that plays a dedicated system. Now, you can have a component to that, like we like to do with the multiplayer games that do solitaire. You can have a component to your solitaire game, maybe where you add on some competitive, or not competitive, some cooperative play to go along with that. So I think it's two different things. I think you have solitaire games, and then I think you have cooperative games. That's my opinion. Next. <laughs> I I couldn't agree more, Mike. Um, one word: viewpoint. What is your viewpoint playing this game? In solitaire games, right? You have the one viewpoint. It's you versus the game. It's you versus the system. It's you versus a bot, a flowchart, whatever. Cooperative. There's multiple viewpoints, right? Because it is designed. For multiple people. They may be working together, but you still have multiple hands of cards, multiple sets of dice, um, multiple fronts or controls, units you control, etc. So already, when you're now playing that solitaire, you are breaking it up in your head a little bit. No different than, in my opinion, no different than playing a two-player game, opposing it is playing it quote-unquote two-handed, right? You are now having to think about two different aspects of it, two different viewpoints. You're no longer just you versus the game. You're multiple yous. And that just is all sorts of crazy to me. So um, you can do them. 
it's they're, they're it's valid it's a way to play them but to me it's no, no different than when i play a great battles history scenario i'm still basically I'm, instead of playing both sides i'm playing the multiple viewpoints of my side michael what do you think well, I had to think about that a little bit, actually. I would. That's why we let the other two guys talk first. <laughs> We're helping yeah. you out here, man. Oh, let's see. I, I'd have to say that I, in my opinion, a co-op game that has no hidden info is almost as good, if not as good as a solo game. Now, that's not to say it's the same thing. It's not, obviously, because as Wayne just said perfectly well, that, you know, that the whole point of a co-op game is to have different perspectives on something. But when you have a game that's um, everybody's vying to do or vying for the same goal and and you win as a team or you lose as a team, I think those are just perfectly fine as solo games. Now, you talk talk about something with a little bit difference. And I want to mention Nemesis, which is a fantastic board game, in my opinion, where it's very alien-esque, where you're awake. Wake, wake up on a starship and you got these alien critters running around the ship and you're trying to get things going. You're trying to repair the engines. You're trying to get supplies together. You know, you're trying to set the course back to earth or wherever it is that you end up going. Um, so you got this team play aspect going on where you're all trying to achieve these same goals. And when you're playing it solo, you certainly know that in your mind, your mind is not as segmented, say. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have, I'm going to do this first and that first and somebody else might do it the other, do it a different way. But in this game, there's hidden roles where you might not necessarily have the same goal as everybody else. And I'm not talking about something like Battlestar Galactica, where you play as a Cylon and you're just trying to screw everybody up. Um, sometimes it is like that, though, but sometimes it's just something very minor that you're trying to achieve. Like, say, player X doesn't make it onto the shuttle or, you know, the certain piece of information is that's... Uh, protecting the company is 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 gathered whereas another player might not want that to happen little things like that i, I you can't play that solo at all obviously because we're talking hidden information and it's just not doable but technically it's still a cooperative game and the game gives you the choice if you want to play it solo to just ignore all that and that's sort of like and now that i'm really thinking about it that's sort of like just kind of cutting a part of your arm off when you're playing a game like that because it's like this is the whole experience, like Battlestar Galactic, for instance, playing that solo, you don't have that hidden character part of it. You still have the game where you're fighting against the Cylons and trying to get the fleet to survive, especially if you have some of the um, expansion games. Uh, but the, the overall, it's still it, it's what you put into it. And for me, as I said, I started this gaming career playing multi-handed and not necessarily with a lot of systems that allowed me to play solo. Uh, it's just, just the way it's been for me. You know, you just do your best to do each side and in a cooperative game, it's kind of the same thing, but to me, it's a lot more fun because you got the same goal. I'm probably babbling now. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's what I think. I look, they're, they're all interesting perspectives. I just know that that's, that that's probably on the minds of at least some of the listeners in terms of where do you draw those lines between them? Because a lot of things that are co-op designed or co-op friendly, you, you sort of see solo and co-op kind of go hand in hand these days. And, and Mike, you mentioned it, you know, the, in terms of the categories and the awards um, and, and they're not, they're not really the same, um, even though they are similar and may share some mechanics within the game. The the intent of the play, I think, is different. And I think that's something that isn't 
isn't always made appropriately clear um, by the designers, by the marketing copy, by whatever else. So I was I was just kind of curious about those thoughts. Um, hey guys, we're we're to the point now where we kind of need to wrap it up for the night. And and Wayne, thank you for finally being here and you know letting us kidnap you for an hour and a half to to come join us on the podcast. Um, I'm glad the schedule's finally lined up and you were able to join us. So thank you. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I had a great time. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. It's uh, I, I'm I'm excited for Salter War Gaming as it is, and I'm excited for the future. I think it's nothing but looking up, and that's just that's why get a chance to talk about it. You know, it, I I love to do it. So it, I, future, I'll I'll come on again if we talk about solo war gaming. So uh, Michael, thank you for uh, skipping dinner to be here. Appreciate that. <laughs> and, no uh, problem. Thanks. I mean, as Wayne said, this is a fantastic hobby, and it's. I actually find it to be less polarizing than I'd say other parts of the gaming industry. You know, others get into some really spirited discussions and we do too, but they tend to be talking more at people than with people like I find in wargaming discussions. So well, keep in mind too, we also brought three people on the show who are all big fans and proponents of solitaire wargaming instead of having somebody like, you know, Cyrano on here to yell at you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we can do that we can do that we intentionally kept it sort of congenial here um and and mike thanks for taking four episodes to show up for your co-hosting duties has it been four <laughs> yes yes it has actually and i'll just echo what you said uh brant well uh, thanks to wayne for showing up it was a enjoyable experience i'm glad you were Glad you're on the podcast. I, I appreciate that. Thank you, gentlemen. And especially a big thanks to the audience. Um, you know, look, we're going to do this whether you're here or not, but we appreciate the fact that you do spend some time with us, even if you're listening to us on like 1.4 X speed so you can get through this quicker. Um, <laughs> that's the secret to getting through podcasts, man. You listen to them on high speed. So And, uh, and, and so... Thank you to the audience for joining us. Um, again, coming up later this season, uh, something that does tie into this one, we're going to have um, we're going to have a couple of folks come in and talk about different kinds of AI, both digital and tabletop AI and development over the years. Uh, we are going to have, and you know, at least one episode on different kinds of rules presentations and uh, and what folks like and don't, and what works and what doesn't, and such. Um, it, and at some point, we're going to have you know Gary come on here and yell about something because he's Gary and can't help it. And uh, we we've actually already had him on once but he wasn't really yelling that night so it was a little out of character uh, yeah yeah so uh that's what's going to be coming up for this spring again if you've got any suggestions for an episode you'd like to see or a guest you'd like us to try to wrangle drop a note in the comments down below this episode uh we'd love to see the feedback and uh and we look forward that, that's to where I'll, that's where i'll put the request for the gmt1 guys thank you okay sure yeah you do that um and and in the meantime uh thanks everybody and we'll catch you next time on another episode of mentioning dispatches